0: Year in the Word app has been fantastic for me. It goes everywhere I go, whether it's on the way to work or me listening to it while I'm jogging. It's with me everywhere I go. Year in the Word is so easy. Uh, It's quick and it's mobile, so even if you haven't been involved in a group uh, all year, you can jump right in at any time. Good morning, morning. it's good to see you guys, welcome to church, I'm excited you guys are here with us, Uh, if you're new to Seacoast, my name is Josh Surratt, I serve as a lead pastor here at the church and uh, it's gonna be a good day together, I wanna welcome all of you that are joining us at the campuses, Uh, we have 13 different locations and uh, if you're joining us from one of our locations or on the internet, we are especially glad that you guys are with us as well. A couple cool things to celebrate. Uh, One, last weekend we did a baptism across all of our campuses, and a lot of us went out to the beach to do it. Uh, The the day that we got baptized, especially if you were in the 1130 service at whatever campus you're in, it was like nasty. There were people getting struck by lightning at the beach. There were people like, are we gonna do it? But we we did it anyways, and the storm kind of went away. But we baptized 206 people last weekend, (laughs) making that decision, isn't that awesome? And uh, something to be praying for, too, our students are all heading out, middle school, high school, are heading out this week to summer camp, and it's been amazing to watch that. Summer camp used to be something that we would send you know, a handful of students to, and then a couple hundred students to, and then three, four hundred students. This year, we've got almost 900 students going away to summer camp, and so God is at work in the next generation, and um, yeah, be praying for them, because God's gonna do some incredible things, some kids are gonna get saved, some kids are gonna kind of discover their calling in life, and it's gonna be a, a landmark breakthrough moment for a lot of our students, and I'm looking forward to that. So we kind of jump into today's message. I wanna ask you a question. Can you think about a time, uh, maybe recently, maybe it's been a long time ago, but can you remember a time when you were stuck? You, just, you felt stuck. Uh, for some of you, that's easy. That was on Wednesday of this week, during Tarp Mageddon 2017, uh, you're stuck in traffic. If you're not in Charleston on Wednesday, uh, we had a tarp fall off of a bridge. And when you live in an island community, it's a peninsula, and you have bridges, one bridge goes down and the whole city goes into chaos. And so I don't know if you were stuck there. I was, uh, two hours and 45 minutes. My wife was having dinner with her sister. You know, uh, I'm not bitter. Uh, I had the three kids. And we were stuck in traffic for two hours and 45 minutes. And some of y'all saw, I went on Facebook Live, and I asked my kids to talk about some things that we were grateful for, and we did a little five minute video or so, and it was fun. Several of you texted or commented and said, man, it is amazing how great your kids were, what a great attitude. And I'll just say there's a reason we didn't record the other two hours and 40 minutes that we were in the car. You know, that was kinda like my last ditch effort to get our attitudes right. Yeah, nothing like being recorded to kind help of you, help you get in check. When I think about being stuck, though, I think about a story that happened to me just a couple of years ago. Our family was vacationing on the Isle of Palms. Uh, we had a family in the church that let us use their house, and I, I loved it. I mean, we're on the beach, it's got a pool, it's just relaxing, and we're enjoying ourselves. And my brother, uh, who also happens to be a bit of a redneck, asked me to go hunting with him. Uh, And I'm like, why would we go hunting? Like, we're on the beach, let's not go hunting. I love you hunters, like, and I will eat anything that you kill. I'm just not much of a hunter. I've never been really good at that. But finally, Jason bugged me, and so myself, Jason, and my two brothers-in-law went on a Thursday afternoon to go hunting. And so we drive up to Manning, South Carolina, which we have a campus up in Manning. Jim Fleming has a farm. He's the campus pastor, and he let us hunt on the farm. And so we've got all of our camo on and we've sprayed ourselves down and deer pee, you know, to make sure we smell like we, you know, something that would be attractive for deer. And, and we disperse to our deer stands and, and we're sitting in these stands. And for three, four hours, we sit there and think about our vacation back on Isle of Palms and wonder why we're here. Uh, and, and, and so the sun eventually goes down and I hear two different gunshots. They go off while we're sitting in the stand. So once the sun went down, I decided, I'm gonna go check out and see what's going on. So I stopped by where Ben Mayer, my brother-in-law was, and we walk up to his deer stand, and he's sitting in the deer stand, and he's bleeding. His face is like full, covered in blood. And so we freak out, what's going on? Comes to find out he had shot a deer, uh, but he had to hold the gun at like a weird angle, and so when he shot it, it kicked back and hit him right in the forehead. So the deer's down, he's down. We get them up, <clears throat> we get them loaded up, and we go to my brother's deer stand, and my brother's there, and good news, he shot a deer. Bad news, the deer ran after he shot it. And so it's dark now, and we've got to go find this deer. And this deer is either dead, or very upset that he's been shot. And I don't know about you, but I, th- th- it's dark, and I'm just gonna be transparent, don't judge me, but I, was, I began to fear for my life about this deer. Like, what might this deer be feeling, and how mad he might be, and what movie they might make off of our lives after we got destroyed by this angry deer. But we, we eventually find the deer, and it's dead, thankfully. We're about 100 yards away from the truck. We gotta drag this thing through the woods, and we get to this fence. It's a barbed wire fence, and so, I grab the, the front legs of the deer, my brother-in-law grabs the back legs, and we do kinda like what you do when you're throwing your kids in the pool. We just swing him back and we toss the deer over the fence, and now we have to get over this fence. So my brother goes first, and he climbs up on top. There's a wooden slat at the top of the fence, and he puts one foot on the wooden slat, and he begins to swing his other leg over the fence, and about the time he gets to where the barbed wire is kinda running right between his two legs, the slat on the fence breaks and he just drops all of his body weight like right in some areas that are are you don't want to hurt. And so with like literally like, oh no, no, is he okay? And he falls over to the other side of the fence and he starts screaming. Ah I, we gotta go to the hospital. I'm bleeding out. I'm bleeding out. I think I hit my artery. I'm bleeding out. We're like, okay, this is a big deal. We need to get over there. And so but now we've got this fence to navigate. So my brother in law, Josh Ray, who happens to be the the youth pastor at the Somerville campus, he decides to go next, but he's like, I'm not going over like Jason did. So he goes under the barbed wire, and he sticks his leg through, and he comes down on the next wire, which happens to be hot, as they say. It's an electric fence. And so, in a very similar region to where my brother is now injured, he lands on the fence, and, he just starts shaking, and he, he literally like projects 10 feet away from this fence. And so he flies back and he's laying on the ground and he's just shaking and, and I'm proud of him because Josh doesn't cuss. And the reason I know that is that when you're in that moment and that's just happened to you, the worst words that you know how to say come out of your mouth. And he's laying on the ground going, holy hell, holy hell. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I, and so Jason's over here bleeding out Ben's bleeding from the face. Josh is shaking on the ground. I'm not gonna touch him because I don't know if he's still like hot or what. I don't know how that works, but I'm I'm not gonna try try this. And there's a fence standing between me and where I need to be, which is my vacation. And 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 so I don't know if you've ever felt that way. You know, there's kind of a fence there. Just to to end the story, because several have asked um, Jason. We got back to Pastor Jim's house, and, and Jim runs him in, and they're gonna provide medical attention. Jason goes in the bathroom to come to find out he's not even bleeding. Uh, it, it wasn't even a puncture wound, so he was fine. Um, a little weak, but he's fine. And, uh, but, but I don't know if you can relate to the idea of, of having a, a fence, kind of this, this moment you feel stuck. You need to get through. You need a breakthrough. Some of us have felt that way, maybe even in a relationship, you know, where you... Things were going along fine. Maybe at the altar, it was wonderful. But now you're in this relationship and you feel stuck. You feel like, man, I just need, I need to break through. Like, I I don't see the light at the end of this tunnel. Some of us have definitely felt that way in our our career. And maybe you feel like you've been in a dead-end job or you keep butting up against kind of a ceiling, a glass ceiling in in your workplace. And you're like, man, I just need, I I wanna go further. I I want more, I wanna break through. Some of you may feel that way spiritually. You know, even if you've been a part of the church this year, you, you started with a year in the word. And man, when we told you about that vision in January, you were like, this is the greatest thing the church has ever done. We're gonna read the Bible together and it's gonna be awesome. And then Leviticus happened. And you're like, why are we doing this? I feel like I can't hear from God. You know, maybe you feel like you're, you're spiritually just dry. You need a breakthrough. You want more. You wanna experience God in a new and a fresh way. Well, if you're here today and you need a breakthrough, you wanna experience one of those moments. I think you've come on a good weekend. I think God wants to to take us to a place of of breakthrough this weekend. And, and I'm especially excited, even for our own church. I feel like we are on a season of breakthrough. We're, we've, we've taken some risks. You know, we're, we're building a building here at this campus. And you guys, if you're here in Mount Pleasant, you've seen the construction and, and you know we've said, hey, we're not gonna settle for what God did in the last 30 years. We wanna meet him in the next 30 years. And we're gonna continue to see hundreds of students get saved and the next generation come up and will ultimately take this thing to new places. But, but all of that requires God to move and it requires breakthrough moments. And so if you're here today and you need that, I'm excited. I feel like we need that as a church. And, and we're gonna look at a story that happened in the Bible in Second Kings chapter two. And we're reading through the Bible again, year in the word, and by the way, if you have fallen off on that or if you've gotten discouraged, I'd encourage you, do a week in the Bible. Uh, your outline sheet that you got today has this week's readings, and, and you'll pick up from the story that I tell today, and you'll be able to kind of track along with it. Do it for a week. Don't get all bogged down, and, and just get back in the game. You know, Start reading, reading your Bible. God will speak to you in those moments. But, but 2 Kings chapter 2, you've got Elijah, who's a prophet of God. He's been God's spokesperson, really, to a generation. He's coming to the end of his season, and Elisha, who is his protege, his assistant, is getting ready to step into a new Season and, and, and so I wanna show you the story and we'll see what we can learn about experiencing breakthrough. So it says, I'm starting verse seven. It says, 50 men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan River. So they're at the Jordan River. There's some other prophets watching to see what's getting ready to go down. And, 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 and this is where they are. It says, Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up and struck the water with it. So Elijah, this is the seasoned prophet. He's been walking with God for a long time. This miracle's not really a big deal to him. He kinda knows, he's trusted God enough that, man, God's gonna make a way. And so he takes this cloak that he'd been wearing and he just strikes the water. And, and look what happens. The water divided to the right and to the left and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. So he takes this cloak and he hits the water with it. And it's, it's a miracle. It's actually the last miracle that Elijah would ever perform. And so, they crossed over, Elijah says to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? And here's what Elisha says. It's an answer that really honors God. He says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. Give me a double portion of your spirit. Notice he didn't say, give me a double portion of your stuff. You know, Elijah gives him a blank check. What, what can I do for you? And he says, no, I want a double portion, not of what you have, but what's inside of you. I want a double portion of your spirit. And you know what? I wonder how many of us spend a lot of time praying about our stuff. God, give me more. You know, if you get the stuff without the spirit, the stuff will eat you up. There are stories all throughout the Bible. Think about the prodigal son. Give me, give me my inheritance. I need my stuff. And it wasn't long before it had destroyed him. You know, you hear stories of people who have inherited, kids who have inherited their parents' stuff, but they didn't have the spirit that helped them get the stuff. And ultimately, it ends up destroying them. But he says, man, I want, I want your spirit. Whatever it is inside of you that makes you tick, I want more of that. I, I, I wanna lean into more of that. And, and, and so it's a, a cool deal. Elisha, or Elijah answers him and he says, you've asked a difficult thing. We'll talk about that in a minute. He said, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. He said, as they were walking along, talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. There's a verse right there with a lot in it. So they're walking along, all of a sudden, chariots of fire, and Elijah, one of three people in the Bible, including Jesus, Enoch, Jesus, and Elijah, that went to heaven uh, while they were alive. Uh, I plan on being number four, that's my prayer. I said, God, if I could go that way. But in a whirlwind, he just disappears. Off to heaven he goes, done. And it says that Elisha saw all of this, and he cried out. My father, my father. The chariots and the horsemen of Israel. By the way, chariots and horsemen, that's symbolic of battle. So he's got this internal battle going on. What, what's going on? It says, Elisha saw him no more. He saw him no more. The end of a chapter, the end of a season. Elijah's gone from his life. It says, then he took his hold of his garment and he tore it in two, which means he was grieving, he was mourning, he was broken over the loss of this relationship. So then, Elijah then picked up, Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him. So the same cloak that he had used to to separate the waters, he picks it up and he went back and he stood on the bank of the Jordan. You know, the cloak is a pretty big deal because a few chapters earlier in 1 Kings chapter 19, when Elijah was looking for his successor, he sees Elisha in a field and he throws his cloak on him. And it was a way of saying, hey, this is your calling. This is your mantle, this is your anointing. I want you to come with me. And so now he finds himself holding the same cloak, standing at the edge of the Jordan River, needing to get back across, and kind of wondering, is this this it? What's God gonna do now? We'll we'll, we'll finish the story in a minute, but I I want us to lean into it. I want us to, to see what can I learn from this incredible story about breakthrough, about God doing something fresh and new in my life. So let's let's look at a couple of thoughts. If you have an outline sheet, whoops, I went ahead. First first thought is this: make sure that you finish the last season well before you start the next one. Make sure that you finish the last season well before you start the next one. You know how you leave one season will determine how you enter into the next, and 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 seasons ending just aren't fun. They're not easy, they're tricky, but, but life is all about seasons, right? We have seasons where we, we cross through these kind of threshold moments. We go from you know being a child to being an adult. We go from being single, many of us, to becoming married and becoming married without kids to having kids, all these kind of threshold seasonal moments. And if we're not careful, we'll be tempted to just jump into the next season or lean in or wish for the next season when we haven't even finished the last one well. And what we see in the story is two guys who are finishing up seasons of their life, but they finish well. Uh, Elijah being one of them. I mean, literally, he is on his deathbed, if you will. He's getting ready to leave earth. And I'll tell you, you learn a lot about somebody when you look at what they're doing and what kind of thinking they're doing on their last days. I think about Billy Hornsby, who was kind of a spiritual father to me, uh, helped my dad plant the ark. He was one of my dad's best friends. And, and I remember when he was dying, going up to see him, And in the hospital, and I actually have it recorded, and I I go back and listen to it often, he took about five minutes to just speak into my life and say, this is what God's gonna do, and you don't have to be afraid of dying. And and this has been the greatest season of my life, being able to pour into, and it was just amazing. And Elijah is in this season, but we don't see him hiding away in fear. We don't see him just pulling in by himself in prayer, preparing for this next season, but we see him investing in the next generation to his last Breath, He's pouring in, he's speaking into his life. Look at the question that he asked him. When they crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? What can I do, what a great question. And We probably should ask that question before our last day to the people that are coming up behind us. What can I do for you? How can I serve you? Think about our kids, those of us that are parents. How can I be preparing them so that my ceiling becomes their floor? How can I kind of set them up? And that's what Elijah's doing. We see Elisha, he's obviously in transition as well. He's getting ready to step into probably the most fruitful and amazing season of his life. But but think about this for a minute, Elisha, uh, he's farming in a field, family's wealthy, making a good living. This prophet, this old prophet, and if you've been reading your Bible this week and, and, and tracking along with this, you know that Elijah was a grumpy, crotchety old prophet. Uh, he, he did great things, but man, he had some issues in, in, internally. And so, he calls him, hey, I want you to come with me. And Elisha, now for six years, becomes the guy that pours the water for this guy, becomes the guy that carries his bags. Six years, he's been just the servant. He's been his assistant. I, I can relate to what it's like to follow an old crotchety guy who's grumpy sometimes. You know, just, just kidding. But, but I wonder how many times he wondered, when is it gonna be my moment? I thought, like did I seriously leave all that I had so I could become a, a glorified assistant? Like This isn't what I thought my anointing was, but for six years, he follows him, he serves him. And we will find out, as we read the story, that the key to him entering into the next season well, getting the double portion, is he had to be there through the end. He had to stay and remain faithful to his calling. So you've got two people who finish well. So let me ask you a question. What ending are you trying to navigate right now in your life? Is there a relationship that's coming to a close? Maybe you've been dating somebody and, and it's, not, it's not working out. It's okay, it happens. But end it well. Finish well. Finish with your integrity. Let the other person finish with dignity. Don't badmouth them. You know, we gotta end, end the prior season well before you enter into the next one. Some of you are in a work situation and you know you're done there. You know that God's called you to a new thing. There's a new season around the corner for you. But how you leave says a lot about you. How you leave is gonna speak a lot about your your character. And I don't say this to make you feel guilty. We've all screwed this up from time to time. We've all had bad finishes, but but let's finish well. Give them notice. Don't go on Glassdoor and start trashing them. That doesn't do anybody any good. And maybe some of you are, you're an employer. And I'll tell you, as, as a guy who, ultimately serves as a lead pastor here. We've got a, a lot of staff. I don't like it when any of them leave. I really don't, I've, I've never gotten great at that. But we gotta learn to lead in such a way that people can transition well into their next season. Usually it's not about you, why they're leaving. You know, They have a life and a family and stuff that God's doing in their life. And so if, if, if people can't leave well from your business, it might be a sign that you're an insecure leader. So we gotta give people room to, to finish well. And what I love about that, is you finish with the way where the doors open if God were to bring that season back into your life. And I think about our church here, and even this platform that that we we had worship in today. We had Martin Chalk and Nate Davis both led us in worship, both of whom God called out of Seacoast for a season, into other areas of ministry, and and they left with integrity. They left well, and then God brought them back here, and I love that. So, So you gotta finish the season well before you jump into the next one. Another thought for us, I'll give you scripture. Romans says if it's possible, which means sometimes it's not. Sometimes there are circumstances that are beyond your control, but as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone, finish well. A a second thought for us as we look at the story is there are often gonna be off ramps just before you get to the breakthrough. Often there are off ramps just before you, how many of you wish there was an off ramp on 526 uh, the other day? I was thinking about taking my own. Um, but, 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 But when I talk about off ramps, there's usually gonna be these moments where you're tempted to quit. And a lot of times they intensify just before that breakthrough happens, just before the moment that you've been waiting for. And if you look at this story, before we got to verse seven, in verse two, four, and six, something happens three different times. It says, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. So, so the, the old man says to the young man, I want you to stay here, God's called me to go to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I'm not leaving you. Happens again, verse four. I'm going to Jericho, stay here. No, as surely as the Lord lives and as long as you're alive, I'm gonna be right here with you. So he goes with them to Jericho. And then again, before they get to the Jordan, Elijah says to him, stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as long as you're alive, I'm not leaving you. I'm not taking the exit ramp. I believe Elijah was testing him because I believe Elijah knew that what he was getting ready to step into, there were gonna be moments that he would wanna quit. In fact, I believe Elijah probably remembered back to the time where he asked God to take him away. Said, I can't do this anymore. That the the calling that Elisha had on his life was gonna be difficult. And he wanted to find out, are you willing to stay with it? Are you willing to stay to the end? And obviously we find out that if he had walked out at any of those points, he would have walked out on a double portion blessing on his life. Where are you tempted to walk out? Some of you may be tempted to quit just a moment too soon. I got a message from somebody just this weekend that was just thinking about quitting on life, and maybe you feel like you're there right now. Don't quit. The breakthrough that you've been waiting for may be just around the corner. Yeah, I think about our church even. My, my dad and mom You know, moved our family down here, uh, and, and it was hard. You know, my, my family's dealing with a move right now where some friends have just moved, and it's hard. It was really, really difficult at that age. It's like, why are you moving us from everything comfortable to get here? And we got here, and when dad tells the stories of the good old days, the first five years of the church, he doesn't describe them as good old days. Uh, we had 330 people on the first weekend, which is amazing. We'd never saw that many people again until year five. Yeah, we, we had what you call a Gideon revival. There was always less people the next weekend than there were the weekend before. And, and there were moments that were discouraging, right? I mean, that doesn't feel good. Then you had, we had an accident that our family got into, and you had, uh, my, my grandmother died at a very young age. My dad's mom, in about year two of the church, we had other incidents, we had tragedy, and it was just, it was hard. And, and he, he describes several moments where he sat down and said, God, did I miss you? Like, is it, was this the wrong move? Are you punishing me for doing something I shouldn't have done? And there were these exit ramps, there were job offers. He's like, man, I think I'm gonna do that. But I, I thank God that he didn't take an off ramp. I thank God for my own sake that I was able to commit my life to Christ in this church at the age of 18, that I baptized my kids, I met my wife in this church, and many of you have similar stories. I thank God that they didn't take the off-ramp, and, and I don't want you to take it either. So there are gonna be moments where you wanna quit. That's why I love the next verse, Galatians 6:9. This is one of my life verses. It says, let us not become weary in doing good. I even like it, because it doesn't even say amazing, awesome, excellent. Sometimes good is all you can come up with, but just do what's right, do good. It's not always fireworks, it's not always amazing, but don't grow weary and just doing the right thing. It says at the proper time, we're gonna reap a harvest if we do not give up, and that's our part. Do good and don't give up. Do good and don't give up, don't take the off ramp. Second, our third thought for us as we look at the story, count the cost before you jump in. Count the cost before you jump in. You know, getting back to that, that moment where Elijah gives him the blank check and he says, what do you want from me? What can I do? And he says, I want a double portion. And I'm thinking if I'm Elijah and, and my son or my kid or somebody who works for me comes to me and says, Josh, I just, I want more. I want God to do more in my marriage. I want God to do more in my, my family. I want God to do more. That's the time for like a pep talk, right? Like, all right, that's what I want. That's the attitude. Let's go do it. You can do it. <laughs> that's not how Elijah answered him says, you have asked for a difficult thing. You may even wanna circle that phrase, a difficult thing. It's a bit of a buzzkill. Like, come on, man. Like, the guy's motivated, the guy's excited. He says, man, what you're asking for is hard. See, the reality is nobody knew better than Elijah how difficult the road was gonna be for Elisha. You want a double portion? You wanna do more miracles? Elijah's like, let me tell you what it means to do a miracle. It means to be at the very end of yourself. To, to, it means to to have no more chips to play, no more cards to put on the table. To be like, I if God doesn't show up, I'm gone. There's there. It's not easy. We all want the miracle, but none of us want the circumstances that force us to need a miracle, right? And it's like, man, Elijah got or Elisha, he got the double portion. Like if you jump into the reading, you're going to see some amazing things. He raised a kid from the dead. We celebrate that, but can you imagine what it felt like to sit with a parent whose child was gone? And they go, I, let's, let's pray. You know, let's, let's see what God does. Like, these are these moments in our lives where God shows up that never feel comfortable. They're, they're never, so he's like, man, it is gonna be hard. You better count the cost. Because you want a miracle, but man, the price to pay is, is hell sometimes. It reminds me of about a year ago when my kids began to ask me for a dog. Like, we want a dog. I'm like, what's going on? I think one of our neighbors got a dog, and they love the idea of a dog. So they'd see the neighbor walking their dog, and like, Dad, can we have a dog? I'm like, no, no, we can't have a dog. You don't want a dog. You you just want the idea of a dog. You you, you just like the puppy in the window, but you don't really want a dog. And eventually, they would have these meetings, and they would get their mother to join them in these wicked schemes. And (laughs) I would come to work, and I would be doing the work of the Lord, really. I'd be serving people, caring for people. And I would get texts from my wife of just pictures of puppies. Like, isn't this a cute one? No, it's not a cute one. And so as a a loving father, I really do, I care for my kids, I began to explain to them why they didn't actually want a dog. You know, they're lazy. Said, you're you're irresponsible. Um, You don't know how to brush your teeth. Uh, You don't make your bed. You don't know how to close doors. We live on a pond, there's a pond with alligators. I'm showing them pictures of what happens when dogs meet alligators to go, you don't want a dog. You just like the idea of a dog. Like, no, we want a dog, we want a dog, we want a dog. And Even at times they're like, Dad, we will pay for a dog. How much does a dog cost? I'm like, a dog's free, they'll give you a dog. That's not the cost. But there are hidden costs that go with a dog. You know what I'm talking about? Any dog owners that can acknowledge, there are some hidden costs. And so eventually I would cave. And we would get one of the ugliest dogs known to man, this little girl named Pippa, French Bulldog with big old bat ears. And I'm here to testify and report that I was right. I was right, in fact, I've made some notes of some of the costs that come with a dog. We, uh, we got a couch in our home, it's a white couch, and if you come over to my house, you're welcome to sit on that couch, I'm not sitting on it, it's nasty. The dog's peed on it, pooped on it, thrown up on it. It's gross, we need a new couch. A Couple thousand dollars right there. Uh, we have a, a screened in porch, or should I say we had a screened in porch. Uh, we need to rescreen that bad boy. We got holes in our yard, we need dirt to fill. We have, uh, in our home, we play in the backyard a lot. We play tackle football. We don't do a no two hand touch. Don't judge me, but that's just how we do it. And several neighborhood relationships are strained because they would have been tackled into a face plant, into a landmine that my dog had left in the backyard. I'm gonna remind you, Miles, I'll, I'll scoop that poop every day, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. My dog has acne. I didn't know your dog could have acne. Yeah. And so my wife and our vet think that we need to spend hundreds of dollars to fix the acne. It's like nobody fixed my acne when I was growing up. I just had to show up with it. Dog's gonna have to deal with the acne. There have been broken bones. We're in the 10 thousands of dollars. I'm telling you right now, we haven't spent it, but we're going to eventually. We go to sell that house. It's like, oh, that dog was a lot more expensive than I thought it was. But I'm happy, I love it, it's part of our family. (laughs) Here's my point. I wonder if, if, if some of us want a breakthrough on our marriage like my kids wanted the idea of a puppy. It's like, man, there is, there's some hidden costs, and it's worth it, but, but if you're not willing to sacrifice, you didn't know that the, the makings of a great marriage require you to say no to some things that you would wanna say yes to. You, you work through some, some fights. You work through some intense fellowship, as we call it, in the church. Like, we all want the Instagram story of the incredible marriage, but man, there's a price to pay for that. We want our kids to grow up loving the Lord and, and loving Jesus, and, but man, there is a lot of effort and sacrifice and tears and prayer, discipline that goes into raising great kids and then a whole lot of like help from God, like when we get to the end of ourselves. I wonder how many of us want a spiritual breakthrough, like my kids want a puppy. It's like, man, we want these things, but are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to count the cost? Elijah says, you've asked for a difficult thing. You know, we want a growing church. We wanna be part of a movement of God where people are coming to know the Lord. But every now and then, I'll have somebody come up to me and say, hey, uh, Pastor, I just wanted to, I don't know if you knew this or not, but so and so, uh, this is the kind of things that they're involved in right now and, and they call themselves a Seacoaster and I just think it's bad for Seacoast and it's bad for the, the church that this person's doing. And, and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? You don't want a growing church. You, you want the idea of a growing church, but but you don't want a church that really gets involved and, and, and reaches people who are broken. And, and by the way, if I could put a camera on you for a day, you'd probably be a little less concerned about their issues and more aware of your own. Like, we've all got issues. But a lot of us want, we want the idea of this great thing, but we don't realize it's messy and it's hard. And, and if, if there are any farmers in the house, you can tell, tell us the harvest season that we all pray for, we wanna harvest. That's the hardest work you'll ever do in your life, because if you don't reap it, it rots. If you don't get out and work it, it's it's gone. So know that there's there's a cost. There's a cost. I don't know what you're praying for, but consider the cost. But one more thought for us. After we've finished well and we've stayed the course, we haven't quit, we've counted the cost, there comes a moment where we just have to pick up our calling and get moving. Take hold of your calling and get moving. Let's jump back to the story. Let's jump back to it. So Elisha, remember Elijah has now gone up to heaven. Elisha has picked up the cloak that had fallen from him and he goes back and he stands on the bank of the Jordan. I, I wish that we could get in his head for a couple of minutes because uh, you read these stories and it's like, okay, cool, that's what he did and that's what happened. But I wonder, he's standing there and he's holding the cloak of his, his leader, whom he loves. He spent the last six years serving. And and he's got to be torn. Like we know that he's grieving because he's ripped his clothes and we know he's called out for Elijah. And all of a sudden, this thing that's been so familiar for so many years is gone. And there's a part of him that's stuck in the past and mourning and grieving that. But then there's another part of him that's standing here at the edge of the river. And it's like, man, I've got a future to step into. And I've got to keep going. And in this sort of, turmoil and angst and battlefield of his own soul and his own mind, he grabs this cloak and I imagine he remembers that this is the same cloak that Elijah threw on him six years ago. So this is your calling. God has led you into this life. God has led you into this breakthrough. You've been prepared for this moment. And so I love what he does. He takes it, the cloak that had fallen from Elijah, and he struck the water with it. He takes it and he just hits the water. Now remember, there's 50 prophets watching. I don't know if he's aware of that, but I'm probably like, Lord, could we have done the first miracle in private, you know, where we could have practiced this a little bit and kind of got comfortable a little bit. But he, he takes it and he strikes the, the water and he says, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He stops crying out for Elijah and he starts crying out for the Lord of Elijah, for the spirit of Elijah. He says, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over, and he broke through. And man, just wait for it. Re- read the next couple of chapters. It was an incredible ride. God did so much through him. God, He literally did twice as many miracles as Elijah did. But it started with him picking up his calling, picking up his cloak. And, and you know, might be worth thinking about, what's your calling? What's God called you to in this season? could be a parent, could be a relationship, could be spiritually, could be your job. But it's not enough to know your calling. It's not even enough to pick up the calling. We gotta work our calling. We gotta get out and we gotta do it. And he's standing at the edge of this river and he takes it and he just, he, he smacks it. And it's like, that's a very natural thing. This is a physical, man-made article of clothing and he smacks it against the river. That's all natural, but it's then, God meets him right in the midst of that and the waters part. And he, and he walks across. You know, some of us need a breakthrough in our marriage. And we need to pray about that. We need to believe for that. But at the end of the day, we gotta pick up our, our calling. We gotta step into it. We gotta go back home and we gotta pray over them. We gotta serve our spouse. We gotta work it. We gotta, we gotta work the calling. You know, whatever that means for you. Some of us need a breakthrough in our home with our kids. And we just gotta, we gotta work the calling. God, I'm believing you. Where now is the God of Elijah? Where now is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Where now is the God of, of Greg Surratt and Billy Graham and all these, it's, it's not the people, it's the God. It's the Spirit. God, give me a double portion. And I wanna encourage you that today may be the day that you just go, you know what, I'm gonna work it. I'm gonna smack it against the river and if the waters don't part the first time, I'm gonna hit it again. And I'm gonna hit it again and I'm gonna hit it again. Some of us are gonna work it and worship. You wanna break through with God, you wanna break through spiritually, you may not feel like singing the words, you may not feel like worship, but we're just gonna work it, we're gonna speak that truth and remind ourselves of it, and we're gonna keep hitting the water and hitting the water until God meets us there and we experience the, the breakthrough of his presence. So, so what is the breakthrough that you're waiting for, hoping for, praying for? I'm believing that today may be the day. God says, pick it up, let's go to work, and I'll, I'll meet you in the middle of your, your faith. I'll meet you in that step out towards it. Would you guys pray with me? As we close, God, I thank you so much for this church. God, I thank you for every man, woman, and child that's here today at all of our campuses. And God, I know you're doing different things in each of our hearts, and each of our lives, but I just pray that we would be a people who at the end of the day are willing to pick up our, our calling, our purpose, our plan that you have for our lives and that we would walk in it. And God, I pray that as we do that, that, Lord, there would be chains that we have broken. There would be waters that need to be parted, that would just be parted. God, that you would show up in your power in our lives. And even as we worship God, even as we declare your goodness and your sovereignty and the fact that, Lord, we can trust you from beginning to the end, all of our life, we can put it into your hands. I just pray, Lord, that you would, Lord, fill us with, with a sense of, of your spirit, with a hunger for your calling, for with a hunger to serve you in every way. God, we love you. We give you this time in Jesus' name, amen, amen.